One of the most exciting studies that we could ever get into in the Bible is a study of the person of Christ. And the unveiling in Revelation chapter 1 is really a revealing of the person and the majesty and the glory of Jesus. There's no more exciting subject, and it's in Revelation 1 today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Acts twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit of God was in control of John as he sees the revelation. John becomes a seer. I think that this is deeper than just simply an attitude of worship. This is the idea of a man receiving direct revelation from God. So I would say it's beyond just, you know, an attitude of worship. But it's something that there's a deep communion going on between the receiver of the revelation and God Almighty. As John says, I was in the spirit, he says it was on the Lord's day. There's two major interpretations there. One is that the Lord's day is simply Sunday, the Lord's day. There are people who say that the early church did not use Sunday in this way, but there are early church fathers that called Sunday the Lord's day. I don't know if you guys say that, that it's the Lord's day. We like to say every day is the Lord's day. But Sunday did become the day of worship for the early church. And it was a day in the not-so-recent past when businesses were shut down, when barely anything was open, when baseball leagues did not play on Sunday, (laughs) soccer leagues did not play on Sunday. If you played Little League, you played all your games on Saturday. If you played All-Stars, you played on Saturday. You did not play on Sunday. Because the idea of the nation was most people went to church. I could spend the next half an hour talking about that, but I'm not going to go there. It's the Lord's day. It's not your day. It's the Lord's day. So we should spend time going to church. Sometimes people, I ask people this question. Why do you go to church? All different answers. Well, because I should. Some of you... Between the ages of 2 and 20, I was dragged there. <laughs> praise, praise the Lord. I think that's awesome. You should go to church to honor Jesus Christ. Not because you like the music. Not because the chairs are cushy. Not because the preacher is short-winded. <laughs> because none of you come here for those reasons, right? You know it's going to be long, and yet you endure it. Perseverance on Arsenal Way in Corona. That's the street that the church is on. Anyway, it's the Lord's Day. Can I tell you, young people, when you're going to marry somebody, make a declaration that if you're in town and not sick, and I even give space for occasional hooky days to the beach, because we're not under the law, we're under grace, go to church. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I'm going to honor the one who bought me with his blood. And plus, I have to be here. (laughs) So I want you to be here, too. I'm just kidding. When I wasn't preaching every week, I still showed up. 
I was the drummer on the worship team back then. <laughs> no idea what they were thinking, but anyway. <laughs> yes. And I heard behind me, verse 10, a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. And if you're taking notes, write down Exodus 19, 16, 19, and 20, where the sound of Yahweh's voice on Sinai is like the sound of a shofar or a sound of a trumpet, loud, piercing, powerful. That's what I heard. I turned around. Or he says, I heard behind me. First, he describes the sound, and it was a voice. Notice it's a voice, but the voice was like the sound of a trumpet. It's the sound of power and majesty. By the way, the second view on the Lord's Day is that many people believe that it's not a reference to Sunday, but to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period. We'll talk about this. It's the day that when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. But the context seems to be better Sunday, although other people say it could be the day of the Lord because the book is so filled with day of the Lord kind of stuff. But anyway, um, so he says, I heard this voice, this powerful voice, verse 10, and it was like the sound of the trumpet. And here's what the voice said to me, verse 11. It said, saying, write, the Greek word is grapson. In a book, the Greek word is biblion. By the way, when you see holy Bible, that simply means holy book. Bible is just the word for book. It's biblion in Greek. But this is the holy book because it is inspired by God. And by the way, there's none other. But there are 66 books contained within this book, and they're all inspired by God. But he says, write. And Moses was commanded to write some things. You could write down Exodus 17, 14, Exodus 34, 4 through 8, and 27 and 28, where Moses wrote things down, and others did as well. Isaiah and Jeremiah. I'll show you some things in a second. But he's told to write in a book what you see. Verse 11, write what you see. The book of Revelation is an unveiling. It's a vision of what John saw. So the seer or the prophet writes what he sees. He writes down what he sees. Just like in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel will do that very thing. And that's what John is called to do. He's called to be a seer and he's to write down what he sees and send it to these seven churches, which we looked at last week, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They're not all the churches in Asia Minor, but they may have been on a postal route. And as I showed you the map last week, they seem to follow a logical uh, route in that sense. If you have a New King James, there's a variant reading. It says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see right in a book. So there's a difference in the manuscripts here. If you have the New King James, it's uh, one, one type of reading, and, and the other one doesn't have it. The oldest manuscripts do not have this repetition of Alpha and Omega, first and last. I'll let you make up your mind. I'm not going to spend time on that right now. But just by the way, even though the number seven is highly symbolic in the book, these are literal historical churches. There was a church at Ephesus. There was a church at Smyrna. There was a church at Pergamum. There was a church at Thyatira. They are literal churches back in the day. So the book of Revelation is not all futuristic. It can have future implications to the modern church, but these churches were historical. 
And so they are going to receive revelation from God. I want to get, just show you really quick the idea of the seer. Go to Isaiah. Lots of the book of Revelation comes from ideas in Isaiah or allusions to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. It's kind of the, past the middle of the Old Testament. Isaiah 1 verse 1. Isaiah 1 verse 1 says, The vision of Isaiah, Isaiah 1 1, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So if you just caught up, it's the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah, Jerusalem, which he saw during these reigns. Then he says, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Go to chapter 2, verse 1 of Isaiah. Chapter 2, verse 1. The word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days. And then he, now he's going to go into what we believe is the millennial reign of Christ. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief, as the chief of mountains and so forth. This is what he saw. The prophet is writing down a revelation in a book. Go to chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Isaiah. In the year of King Uzziah's death, what does he say? I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. When we get to Revelation 4, there's going to be great similarity between Revelation 4 and Isaiah 6. What did Isaiah see? A vision of the Lord. What does John see in John chapter 1? A vision of the Lord. I saw the Lord. Write in a book what you see. You know, the book of Isaiah is 66 chapters, interestingly enough, and it's filled with these incredible revelations of God and prophecies about the coming uh, Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so these these thoughts or these uh, visions, go back to Revelation 1, are going to be sent to these churches, and they've arrived to the church over the history of the known world because They've been included in what we call the canon, the 66 books of the Bible. The book of Revelation is the final book. And so as Jesus addresses the churches, he'll talk to them in chapters 2 and 3 about their strengths and weaknesses. The seven churches are characteristic of individual churches throughout church history, but they are not church ages in my view. You have somebody, some people say, well, each church represents an age of church history. I don't think that you can really make a case for that. Uh, from church history. But I think what you can say is that these seven churches are historical, but they also have characteristics of the church throughout the age. If I were to ask you tonight, if Jesus wrote a letter to the church in Corona and said, this I commend you for, this you're doing well, and this I have against you. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to get the Revelation DVD series by Pastor Michael Lance. 
The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ and how he speaks to his church in both words of commendation and correction. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the seven-sealed scroll, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and many other intriguing truths that expose God's plan for planet Earth, the unbelieving world, and his church. Join Michael Lance in a DVD series of this dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk-In Truth store today to order your copy of the DVD teaching The Mark of the Beast, The Seven Seals, and The New Heaven and New Earth. All available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Click on store. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. I think what you can say is that these seven churches are historical, but they also have characteristics of the church throughout the age. If I were to ask you tonight, if Jesus wrote a letter to the church in Corona and said, this I commend you for, this you're doing well, and this I have against you. If you were to take a piece of paper tonight and say, to the church of Corona, write, this is what the Alpha and the Omega says. This is what the the one who holds the, the churches in his hands says. I say to you, this you're doing well, and this I have against you. What do you think he'd say to the church in Corona? I'm not talking about this church alone. We would include this church, but the church in Corona, which, by the way, is not seven buildings. It's a group of individuals that meet at many different locations. But what do you think the Lord of the church would say to the church in Corona tonight? What would he commend us for? And what would he say, I have this against you? Interesting thought, isn't it? Because we can observe the book of Revelation from the stands and say, Oh, hmm, interesting. Wow, yeah. Or we can say, Lord, what do you have to say to me tonight? What am I doing well in your view? Because that's all that really matters. And what do I need to improve? Verse 12, Revelation 1, I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw, first thing he sees now, I saw seven golden lampstands. The first image that John sees is seven golden lampstands. Now, a lot of you are familiar with the idea of a lampstand, or in the Jewish temple, there was a menorah. And it was a single stand, but then it had seven places for uh, wicks and fire and so forth. It was kind of like a candelabra. There were ten lampstands, by the way, later in the Solomonic temple. But in the original tabernacle, what you had is a multi-branched, seven-branched lampstand. Is that what this is referring to? You can write down Exodus 25 and 37, where Moses is given instructions about the lampstand. By the way, if you go to Israel with us, and a lot of you are, we're going to see that the Temple Institute has constructed the menorah that will go in the future temple. It's done. It's complete. They already have it. In fact, I think they have all the implements of the temple now completed. All they need is the temple to go up, and they've they've made everything. They're training priests right now in Israel, so they're taking this pretty seriously that the temple's going to go up. But the primary reference is to Zechariah 4. Let's go there. Great application here, Zechariah 4. It's towards the Old Testament's end, Zechariah and then Malachi, okay? So, Zechariah. It's Malachi, right? Or Malachi, Malachi, I I don't know. (laughs) 
I, I like Malachi. <laughs> Zechariah 4. Look at verse 1. Then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who is awakened from his sleep. Zechariah 4, 2. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with its bowl on the top of it and its seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. Also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side. Zechariah 4.4. Then I answered and said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And so the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Also, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, this is the temple, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the days of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. Now, the the historical context is that Zerubbabel is in a battle to finish the temple. And God says, you're going to finish it because you're not going to do it by might, not earthly might. You're not going to do it by power, earthly power. You're going to do it by the power of my spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And can I say to you tonight, you are going to finish what God started in you, not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit, amen? He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ. What's the application for those receiving the book of Revelation? Oh, I think it's very clear. These seven churches and those like them, if you go back to Revelation, are suffering. They're wondering, are we gonna be able to finish what we started? Are we gonna recant if we're threatened with death or being banished or our family being taken away? Can I start what I finished, Lord? And the Lord's saying, just remember, this seven-branch lampstand and the historical context of it in the book of Zechariah, you will finish because I will empower you to do what I've called you to do. This reflects the purpose of the church in this sense as well. The church is supposed to be the light of the what? Of the world. And the source of that light is Jesus Christ. And interestingly enough, Jesus in Revelation 1 is dressed, consensus of scholarship, not as a king, but as a high priest. And one of the jobs of the high priest or the priest in the temple was to fill the little cup holders of the seven-branch menorah. When the oil got old, it would get refilled by the priest. That was his job. And if any wicks went out, he would put new wicks there and relight the ones that had gone out. You see the imagery, brothers and sisters? Jesus Christ is among his church, and when our oil is low and our wicks are waning, he lights the fire again and again 
and again. Amen? And this is the image beautifully tied to Zechariah 4 that our great high priest is in the midst of his church. He says, look at Revelation 2, verse 5, with a warning, though. He says, remember, 2, 5, therefore from where you have fallen and repent. This is the church that left their first love. We'll get to this next time. Do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, Revelation 2, 5, and will remove what? Your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. What does that mean? I think it means that your influence the light that you're supposed to shine in Ephesus is going to go out unless you repent. And some of us may need to hear that tonight for our own lives because we lose influence when we give in to sin. Verse 13, chapter 1. In the middle of the lampstands where we'd expect to see the Lord, one like a son of man. Remember, we saw this description of the son of man in Daniel 7, 13, and 14. So he's in the midst, he's in the middle of the lampstands. Just, just note, he's in the middle of the church. He is the church's light. We're simply reflected light. He is our light. We're like the moon, we're not like the sun. The, the moon sh- reflects the light of the sun, and that's what the church does. He's clothed in a robe reaching to his feet, or to the feet. This is a unique word in the New Testament, and it does uh, apply to a priestly garment. And girded across his breast or his chest is a golden girdle. So it was the job, as I mentioned, of the Levitical priest to keep the lampstands lit. And Jesus, I would say here, is tending to his lambs. You remember when he was resurrected, he met with Peter at that fire. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. And he says, then tend my lambs. Jesus is in the midst of the church. What is he doing? He takes care of his people. He tends to his lambs. Not always in the most comfortable way, but he does uh, tend to us. And so he's dressed in these beautiful garments. He's our great high priest. If you write down Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, his great high priestly ministry is seen there. He's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Uh, he, we come to a throne of grace to receive what? Mercy and help in time of need. We can come to him boldly because he loves us. This robe is a mark of distinction. If you write down Exodus 39, 29, it says the sash of fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet material, the work of the the weaver, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses is making, or the folks are making priestly garments, and this fits well with the description. So he is in a high priestly attire. This is what he does. He is the high priest of the church. He's got you, and he's got me. Amen? Well, it's awesome to consider that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. So amen and amen. We have a high priest in heaven who ever lives to intercede for us. And my friend, that means you. If you're a believer, he is your high priest. What an incredible God we have. Now, I think it's important to establish that Jesus is our great high priest, especially since we see this in the book of Revelation. We see it in Hebrews and other places in the scripture. And this means that he is interceding for you. He paid the price of your redemption at the cross through the resurrection, but he loves you and he has a ministry to you today. 
Hey, I want to thank you for listening to Walk in Truth. I'm Pastor Michael Lance. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website. There we have some DVDs available on the book of Revelation. And I'm sure you'd be interested in this because it's on subjects like the seven seals, the new heaven and the new earth, and teaching about the mark of the beast. What is it? What about this Antichrist figure? Now, you can order these DVDs online when you visit walkintruth.com and click on the store tab. You can also reach out and call us at 844-48-TRUTH during regular business hours. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Hey, just an FYI that Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. I have the privilege of serving a senior pastor in this great church. Now, we're located in the city of Corona, and we would love for you to come out and visit us this coming Sunday. Now, especially if you're not currently in fellowship, we would love you to come out and connect with the body of Christ. We have two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11.15 a.m. Also, this Sunday, there's a free parenting class. So if you want to get more about parenting, need a little bit refining or encouragement, come out to this class for some more practical tips on Christian parenting. The address for Living Truth is 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona. Learn more when you click on the Visit tab at walkintruth.com. Or get the Living Truth app in your app store. Go ahead and download that and you'll have access to all that wonderful information. Now come back tomorrow for more of the message called The Unveiling, where you'll learn that Jesus isn't just the high priest. He is the living God. Until then, may God richly bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.